listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. This is the Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast. I have an, I have a huge stack. You can hear it rattling in in the breeze. A huge stack of questions submitted by adoring fans of the show. <laughs> they're not really fans, and they probably don't adore me. But they're participants in the show, and you can be a participant too if you want to participate in the show. And I highly suggest that you do so, because if you don't, I don't have much of a show here. Uh, I really want it to be a question and answer kind of a show, and uh, if you want to help keep that going, submit your question by going to my website, ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com, that's me, I'm Eric Daw, and uh, you can click the contact link there and submit your question That way, there's a nifty little form you can fill out and zip your question off to me. And uh, the other way to do it is to call 757-774-8482. You can call or text that number. That's 757-774-8482. And uh, leave me a, a message there, and I'll use that as part of the show. With me, as always, this evening is the very pregnant Melissa, <laughs> my lovely wife, Melissa. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining me on the show. I know that uh, you're currently very great with child. I am pretty great with child. You are, definitely. Uh, I've got uh, my rocking chair, my feet up. I'm feeling feeling good. Good. We're doing good. If we start having a baby in the middle of the show, I'll just hit pause and uh, we'll have to pick this up, you know, a little later. A couple hours from now. Yeah. Okay. No, everything's good. But we are going to have a baby this month or early next. Or any day. Or any day now, actually. Yeah. You're due uh, in about two weeks? Uh, 11 days. You're due in 11 days? Yeah. What are we? Why are we doing a podcast? We should be freaking out right now. I am freaking out. Okay, well, that's enough chit-chat. Let's, we, got enough, we, got, <laughs> we have so many questions that I don't even know if we're going to get to them all. Look at all these questions. I'm impressed. Let's get right down to business. And answer some questions. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. This first one is not a question, but I like it anyway. A quick note to thank you for your podcast. I find it a very enjoyable listen and informative. Wishing you continued success in your personal and professional endeavors. That's from Pat DeBurrow. Uh, from DeBurrow Guitars, Inc. in Ex- Exeter? Exeter? Exeter, New Hampshire? Yeah. Uh, thanks, I, Pat. Yeah, thank you so much, Pat. I checked out your website. His website is deburro.com, D-I-B-U-R-R-O.com. And you know what I like about Pat's website? It's got really great documentation of a bunch of, of repairs, really nice pictures and, and um, good descriptions of what's going on. It was fascinating for me to look at. I got kind of got lost in his website. Nice website, Pat. You should check out Pat's website, especially. I mean, it really looks like Pat knows exactly what he's doing. I, I, I'm sure that... Why are you listening to us, Pat? Yeah. I'm sure if uh, you're in Pat's neighborhood, you already know about him. But, uh, yeah, I got to compliment you on your website. Looks like you do excellent work, and I love your website. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. All right, thanks, Pat. And that's how to do it. I'm telling you, you guys, if you have a shop somewhere and you want a shout-out on the show, it's that easy. I mean, we're a community, you know? Let's be a community of uh, of guitar repair guys. I mean, that's that's always been my thing. I, It's funny how guitar repair guys and guitar makers 
sometimes get caught up in this trap of uh, competitiveness. And, uh, man, it's not a competition, you know? There's guys near and far that are local to me and that are far away that, that do similar things to what I do. And, um, you know, I don't view it as a competition because there's plenty of work to go around. I, I'm super busy with the work that I have, you know? So, I mean, and I know that if you're good, you're the same way. So, uh, anyway. Awesome. Yeah. Next question. All right. I have been listening since the beginning and loving it. I finally have a couple of questions after having mooched off the answers for others thus far. Looking at Telecasters in the budget price range has me wondering, is there a noticeable sound difference between top-loading and through-body stringing bridges? The forums mention that strings passing through the body cause it to resonate more, oh, more so than strings that end at the bridge. Is there a reality to that, or is it more internet tone hokum? Hmm. Also, where did you guys send people? Where do you guys send people for tube amp repair in the Seattle area? Thanks, you guys. Keep up the great work. That's from Ryan in Ballard. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate you submitting a question. Uh, for tube amp repair in the Seattle area, I send people to Brent Bagby at Solder House Amp Repair. I don't have his number handy. I should have uh, done. I should have written it down. But you know, he's easy to find on the internet. Solder House. That's S O L D E R H A U S. Like it's uh, you know, like a pancake house. Like it's Sod- a solder German. house. Solder House. Brent at Solder House, he works on my amps. He he works through Emerald City Guitars. There's a number of shops in the Seattle area where he does drop off and pickup service if you don't want to go to him because he's all the way out in Port Orchard. But um yeah, if you're in the Seattle area and you need top notch tube amp repair work, Brent is the guy I recommend. Uh and your other question, Telly's top loading versus through the body. This is one that will never be settled. There, this is one that will continue on reverberating through the internet forums forever. There are people who claim that it makes a big difference and that string through the body tellies sound better. And there are people who claim that top loaders are actually the best kept secret in the Teletone world and that top loaders are actually the way to go. Really, I don't have an answer for you, a, a definitive answer. I've played plenty of both. I loved both. I, I don't think there's enough of a difference to really warrant any worrying about it. Um, the original tellies were string through. I like the idea of the string passing through the body. So I stick with string through the body, but I'm certainly not going to turn my nose up at a late 50s string, you know, top loader, a late 50s top loader telly. I mean, I think they sound great. I've played a bunch of them. And uh, the only thing that I did notice is that top loader bridges, uh, they seem to feel a little more slinky, like... Easier to play, easier to bend the strings. And I think it has to do with the fact that the angle behind the uh, saddle is not quite as steep as it is on a string through. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's the physics of it. Yeah. yeah. But tone differences and all that, I, I really don't think... You know, if you blindfolded me and had me taste test two similar tellies, one was string through and one was top loader, I don't think I'd be able to tell the difference. Uh, maybe I would. I don't know. But uh, they both sound great. And uh, you'll find every opinion under the sun about about it on the internet. It's one of those things where, you, you know, make up your own uh, decision. But if I fell in love with a top loader telly, I wouldn't let the fact that it's a top loader sway my opinion. Well, there you go. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Eric, I love the podcast. My main favorite guitar has Lawler 52s. The bridge pickup seems to have become even more microphonic over the years. Is this even possible? 
could just be in my head and not reality. That's from Kelly Doyle in East Texas. East Texas. I've heard of that. Well, Texas is big. Yeah, it is. Uh, Kelly, I can tell that Kelly is talking about Telecasters because the Lawler 52 is a Telecaster pickup. Uh, it's it's entirely possible that your bridge pickup has become more microphonic over the years. I, I mean, I don't think it's in your head. It's entirely possible. What happens on those usually is it's not really the coil. It's the base plate, or sometimes it's called the elevator plate. That that base plate on the bottom of the pickup is usually waxed to the pickup, and if it comes loose at all, it can it can start to uh, cause some microphonic issues there. So that's probably what's going on. I, you know, Lawler wax pots his pickups, so I really doubt it's the coil, unless your guitar got so hot that. The wax melted off, but I doubt that that happened. Uh, again, I, I think it's the base plate. And if you if you take off the bridge and look at the underside of the pickup, I bet you'll find that that base plate is just a little bit loose. And you can uh, tighten it back up by um, reheating the wax. You should be able to reheating the wax just by uh, heating up the base plate with a soldering iron, and it'll kind of melt the wax back and... Uh, create a, a, a buffer between the uh, the base plate and the pickup. Thanks for the question, Kelly. The intonation on my Rickenbacker 360 12-string is driving me crazy. What can I do? It is currently It currently has the 6-saddle bridge. Is the 12-saddle bridge replacement a viable solution? I'm currently using Pyramid Superior Pure Nickel Hand Round Wound 12-string electric 9-42 electric string. Oh. Say that 12 times fast. Yes. I had it set up here locally, but it still won't tune properly. Help! Thanks, Alan in Portland, Oregon. Alan, I feel your pain, buddy. The intonation on Rick 12 strings is uh, always a pain. And for sure, the 12 string, the 12 saddle bridge is, is, is a viable solution. Uh, it's, a, it's a way better solution than the 6 saddle bridge. You know, on your 12 strings, they all intonate differently, all 12 of them. So to have 12 saddles really helps. If you don't want to go to the 12 saddle bridge... You might try swapping out your G, right? So you've got you've got two G strings, a, a fat one and a skinny one. If you swap out the fat one for a wound string, then it will intonate a lot closer to how the skinny one is intonating. And that tends to help, because that's usually the biggest trouble spot on those is that G. Um but it sounds like you're using pretty light strings, those nines. What I would do, what I would, personally, what I would do is go up a gauge in string, use the use use a set of tens, and, uh, yeah, pyramids if you want. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the pyramids. Um, if you like them, that's great. I'd use the, the uh, Diodario 12-string set, and I'd swap out, the plain string for a, a wound string on the on your on your G, if that makes sense, it'll intonate better. If the, if you just don't want to do a wound string, if that's too much tension for you, then uh, the twelve string the twelve saddle bridge is really the way to go. I think that that's a great solution. So, absolutely. But uh, you know, I I feel your pain, man. That those are always a bear. Those 12-string ricks are hard to intonate. The other thing is, um, from the factory, the nut slots are always super high. So I don't know who you took it to. You said you had it set up locally, but that's another thing to look at if the nut hasn't been dialed in properly. It doesn't, doesn't matter what you do down at the bridge. It's still not going to intonate right. So so make sure you take that in into consideration as well. Right on. Awesome. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, Alan. Next question. Hi, great show. I'm a tinkerer, but it seems like my tinkering never stops. I know what to do to 
I know what to adjust to set up a guitar. For example, adjusting the truss rod, setting action height, adjusting intonation, dialing in the nut slots, adjusting pickup height if it's an electric. Anyway, when I adjust something, it seems like it throws the other things out of whack, and I find myself adjusting and readjusting everything several times before it's right. Mm. Is there a way to avoid this? Is there a specific order that you do things in when setting up a guitar so that one adjustment doesn't throw off the rest? Thanks in advance. That's Jerry in San Francisco. Cool. Thanks, Jerry. You know, um, it's an interesting question. It's there. There really is. There really is kind of a uh, a pattern. Uh, there really is a specific order that you want to do things in. Or at least in my experience, an intonation is is your last step. So you want everything else dialed in first. Usually. It goes like this for me, you know, I mean, I'll do things with the strings off, of course, you're going to do things like polish the frets and oil your fingerboard, but once you get the strings on and tuned to pitch, you first adjust the neck and get it straight. Then I check the nut slots and make sure that they're okay. Then, uh, and dial in anything you need to dial in there, then I set my action then I do a fret tolerance, make sure it's playing okay. And then I set the intonation. So that's a really uh, rough and dirty explanation of, of how things go because every guitar is a little bit different and some guitars will need things that others don't and it, you, you never know what you have to adjust. But that's the basic order of things. Uh, restring, tune to pitch, adjust the truss rod, adjust the nut, adjust the action, and then set the intonation. That's basically what it usually is. And that's awesome. On the setup. I never thought about it, but that makes perfect sense, the readjustment thing. Like, just having to go back and yeah. fix something just that just got a little bit out of whack. And The worst, what can really drive you crazy, is if you've got a guitar with a floating tremolo, like a Floyd Rose, because anytime you tune it, if you tune one string, it throws out the other five. Well, that's obnoxious. It's totally obnoxious, I know. That's why I charge more for... Every shop does. We charge more for a Floyd Rose setup. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Was that... Uh, did I skip anything in his question? I don't think so. I, I think, think so. I got it all. Jerry, thanks for participating in the show. That's a the great way, question, Jerry. All the way from San Francisco. California? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's San Francisco. <laughs> Next question. Do you aim for a perfectly straight neck, or do you typically allow for a slight amount of relief to allow for string vibration in the middle of the neck? More importantly, are you going to try and face the madness and go see Star Wars this weekend, or are you going to wait until the madness dies a little? Oh, this must have been yeah. right before Star Wars came out. Uh, and that one's from Greg. Yeah, that was... Um just before the big opening weekend for Star Wars. Oh. And we did see Star Wars, but we waited a few weeks. Yeah, I think we just went to see it yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah, and I don't want to, you know... I mean, it, it was a great it was a great movie. If you haven't seen it, I don't want to ruin it for you. So there's a, there's a spoiler alert, but Alan Rickman dies. Oh, that was too soon. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I'm a big Harry Potter fan, everybody, and you can think I'm a nerd, but when Alan Rickman died, I was really sad. I could have gone with David Bowie as well. Well, yeah, but Alan Rickman has more of the nerd fandom I going know. on. I was going to say Snape, but I don't think anyone would get it. Not that it was even a joke. Not that it was not that it was even funny. Well, I found it incredibly offensive. It was insensitive and I uh I, I hereby apologize to all nerds everywhere, Harry Potter fans and Star Wars fans. Uh, yeah, we did go see Star Wars. It was awesome. We enjoyed it. In yeah. fact, afterwards, we listened to about every Star Wars podcast We listened discussion. to a bunch of Star Wars podcasts. Because we got real nerdy for a oh, while. That's cool. And uh, now we're tired of Star What's Wars this? again. What is this podcast about? Again? Yeah, sorry. Uh, perfectly straight neck. Or slight amount of relief? Um, the short answer is, of course, with me, there's never a short answer. That means that means I'm going to talk about this for 10 minutes. The short answer is... 
I'm married to you, I know. Uh, I like to see a nice straight neck, but it depends on the guitar. Some necks really will play better. They'll be a little more forgiving with a slight bit of relief. And it also depends on the player and the style of music. And if you're playing slide or finger style or, you know, what gauge, what size of strings you're using, if you do a lot of bending. So there's a lot of variables. But all things being equal, I do like to try to start out with as straight of a neck as possible. Guitars that you do allow a slight amount of relief in, how do you how do you tell those apart from the other guitars? Is that just an experience thing, or is it... Um, well, it goes like this. I adjust the neck as straight as possible, and then play it. Oh, just whatever's easiest to play. Yeah, but it's... I mean, it, you can just kind of feel what's going on with the guitar, and then there might, you know... Most guitars have little discrepancies in the neck and they're not perfectly straight anyway so if it has if it has a little bit of a hump in a certain area of the neck and a valley in another area or if it has you know very very slight things that aren't worth fixing but still taken into consideration when you adjust the neck it it's it's just a yeah it's a complicated so you're saying you're a guitar wizard no, I'm saying I shoot for a straight neck as straight as possible, especially on fenders, especially on fenders with a with a vintage radius, that seven and a quarter inch radius, because when you go to bend strings, if you don't, uh, if if you have too much relief in the neck and you go to bend your high E string, it'll choke out on a vintage seven and a quarter inch radius fingerboard. Hmm. So as straight as possible on Fender style guitars. That's what I aim for. Cool. But then, you know, so, I mean, I, most of the guitars I work on are for customers, not my own guitars. So a lot of times I'll set it up with a nice straight neck. And then, um, I ask anytime a customer comes to, to pick up their guitar, I ask them, do you have time to check it out? Because I want them to check it out in the store so that I know they left happy. That really is a huge, a big deal to me. And if they check it out, and if they're having some problems or if they have some complaints, then I might put just a little more relief in the neck and see if that works for them. Because everybody's playing style is different. And everybody attacks the strings differently, and everybody has different expectations of what they like, or or if they um, want the action higher or the action lower. So it's all personal preference, but I start with as straight of a neck as possible. Well, there you go. Yeah. See, I told you I'd talk for 10 minutes about that. Greg, <laughs> thanks for the question. And uh, I appreciate you participating. Let's take a little break. We'll hear a word from our lovely sponsor. We'll be right back. This is Jay Boone, owner of Emerald City Guitars in downtown Seattle, the best source for vintage guitars and amplifiers, not only on the West Coast, but around the world. As we embark on our 20th year of business down here in Pioneer Square, we are striving to continue to bring you great service and great products. We're remodeling our whole store this year, and it's going to be amazing. We're also redoing our website, emeraldcityguitars.com, for our online customers around the world. We'd like to give a big shout-out of appreciation for all your patronage over all the years down here at Emerald City Guitars, and we really strive to continue to bring the best that we can to our customers. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com or visit our shop at 83 South Washington Street in downtown Seattle. Our business line is 206-382-0231, and we're open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Remember, Emerald City Guitars, the best source for vintage guitars and amplifiers and service and repair. Welcome back to the show. I want to give a shout-out to a guy named Michael Van Dieven. Michael Van Dieven runs the uh, 
the network that hosts our uh, our lovely podcast here. So the website ufoship.com is where this podcast is hosted and there's a bunch of other podcasts on there as well. You might find them interesting. There's a football fan podcast. I know that's been getting uh, a lot of hot and heavy play lately, the football season. I know all about it. We're not sports fans. Not really. I don't even know what a football is. Uh, But I like the hosts of that show. They're entertaining. I think you might like it. There's also a, there's Michael Van Dieven hosts a few of the shows, but one of, one of them in particular that I love is called Michael Van Dieven's Radio Trainwreck. It's more of a current events and politics kind of a show. If you like that kind of thing, you might enjoy it. Michael and his co-host Evelyn uh, have an entertaining show. I, I always, I always listen to it. You might check it out. I love it. Cool. Next question. Hi, Eric. About your pinup custom guitars, do you still send out the heads up email notifications for guitars hitting the ground? I'm looking into buying one of your guitars someday soon, but the only neck profile I'm trying to avoid is the fat one. By the way, I read your FAQ about custom orders, and I totally agree. It's funny, I've had a few customs built before where I would labor over all the tiny little details. After the long, long wait for those perfect guitars, I hated every single one of them. (laughs) I eventually learned, after I got hooked on vintage gear, that it's the ones you stumble upon that are special. Mm -hmm. You never know what one will talk to you. You can't force it. Thanks, Mark. I I love this question. <laughs> I absolutely love this. Mark, if you're ever in the neighborhood, say hi. I'd I'd love to buy you uh, a beer. I'd love to shake your hand. Uh the custom order thing drives me crazy or at least it used to, so I just stopped taking custom orders because it's impossible to make a guitar to fit this preconceived notion of a perfect guitar that someone already has that it's just it's just so frustrating so i just stopped doing it and to to have someone who understands that and still wants to buy one of my guitars i love that i love it i do i love it uh and yeah i do still i'm this is so perfect i mean i don't even have to advertise my own guitar on my own show mark right. did it for me <laughs> Right. Thanks, Mark. Mark, thank you. I do. I I make guitars. They're called pinup custom guitars. Pinupcustomguitars.com. I do still send out the heads up email for guitars that are uh, coming soon. And you can get on that email list by going to pinupcustomguitars.com. And there's just a nifty little form there you fill out, and I'll send you emails about what is coming down soon. I I've historically made between. 10 and 24 guitars a year. It just depends on the year. I think last year I made 22 guitars. Dang. This year I'll probably make less because uh, we have a, a a little baby to take care of. A and it does eat into my free time. So, well, it's just no longer free time is the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Next question. How do you work with CA glue so it doesn't constantly dry up, clog the nozzle, or the bottle dry up waiting to be used? It just seems to dry all the time. If I fill a fret slot, it dries in the nozzle before I get to the next slot, and I have to cut the nozzle enough times that the hole in the nozzle is big enough now that I don't have any accuracy. Mm -hmm. What is the shelf life of a bottle, and when should I stop using it? Do you glue in frets? Thanks for your info. Dan in Fullerton, California. Good question, Dan. You know, um, that is definitely something that I've struggled with as well. And the solution that I've found, the best solution, is that uh, Stuart McDonald makes something called Whip Tips. And, oh my God, are they a lifesaver. They're just an extra nozzle that you put onto your superglue. And it just, it's almost like a little syringe. I mean, it's a very, very tiny little plastic tube 
that gives you accuracy and it really keeps the glue from drying out and it fits perfectly onto Stuart McDonald's super glue bottles. The Stuart McDonald super glue is expensive, but man, it's th- it's the best. It it has the best shelf life. It doesn't dry up like, you know, Home Depot super glue does. That's what CA is. Did you know what CA glue is, Melissa? Nope. It's super glue. Cyanoacrylate. CA glue, uh, but it's super glue. Yeah. But yeah, whip tips. Check it out. Stuart McDonald whip tips. They're they're really the bomb. They'll keep you from having to constantly cut the nozzle down. They'll keep the glue from drying out. And if one of the whip tips gets clogged, you can just trim the whip tip down. And then once you're down to the end, you put on a new whip tip. And do do you glue in the frets? Oh, do I glue in frets? It depends on the guitar. Usually I do. I didn't used to. I thought that it was not necessary. The thing I like about gluing in a fret is that um, I don't want the fret to be able to move at all because it really will suck tone the fret will absorb string energy rather than deflect it, and that's bad. Um, And I've heard of different people using different things. Some people use hide glue. Some people use super glue. Some people use shellac. I've heard of people using shellac. I've heard of people using wood glue, which I wouldn't use because it... I don't think it... uh, I don't think... I don't think it works well with the metal. Uh, I've heard of people using epoxy, which I would never do that. Don't do that, because then uh, uh, that's a little too strong of a bond. Then they're in there permanently. Yeah, right. But super glue, I've definitely used super glue in fret slots, and I've definitely liked the results. And before you cringe, um, it's really not hard to get out if you... uh, heat up the fret and then pull it out with with uh, fret nippers with your fret pullers it it it's really not a big deal it it doesn't cause fingerboard damage huh yeah well there you go yeah thank you so much dan dan in fullerton california next question my question is, when a telly saddle cannot be lowered anymore, do you shim the neck or is there some more investigative investigative and work investigative work that you do to find the problem and secondly has gibson ever considered building their headstock without a steep head angle i know it's designed to maintain string angle off the neck and hold string tension but the design leaves the headstock headstock wanting to snap off when it accidentally gets knocked around cheers jonathan in victoria canada Right on, Jonathan. Uh, his first question, when a telly saddle cannot be lowered anymore, do you shim the neck, or is there some investigative work that you do to find the problem? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess it depends on the guitar, but uh, a lot of times, if you're using those really fat brass saddles, um, what I like to do is, uh, I mean, I'm assuming... That it's a guitar you don't mind modifying, but if it's those really fat, round brass saddles, I like to uh, uh, take them to a grinder and grind off the bottoms. I like the saddles to sit low on a telly. It makes them it makes them actually play nicer. Um, and you'll see that done on vintage tellies. They uh, they ground the bottom off of those saddles. The real fat brass ones. Later, they went to skinnier saddles. Now, if the skinny saddles all the way down and uh, still too high, then yeah, you're going to have to do something with the neck angle. Hmm. But I definitely, I definitely have done that a bunch on those fat brass saddles. In fact, I, I, I think it's a a great thing to do to those those saddles and sometimes depending on the saddle you know if you buy the fender branded ones i think they're already ground flat on the bottom but a lot of them aren't it just depends on the saddle so yeah 
What was his second question? Uh, has Gibson ever considered building their headstock without the steep headstock angle? Um, y- yeah, they did change, uh, you know, from... They, they, they were always 17 degrees, or at least they were through the glory days of Gibson, and then they changed to a shallower angle, like I think 14 degrees in the mid-60s. And uh, then they changed it back to 17 degrees at some point. But the headstocks still broke when they were 14 degrees. I think it it really has more to do with the fact that the the grain in the wood is really short across there. And mahogany is a soft wood that's prone to breaking. I think if if they, uh, you know, if they used maple it would be less prone to breaking, but that then it wouldn't be a Gibson, right? I mean, they do. They made some guitars with maple necks, but mahogany is kind of their thing, and, uh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so they did. They did for a while. They had 14 degrees. They also had the volute for a while, which was supposed to help with headstock breaking, but that went away as well, and I've seen plenty of Gibsons that had a volute with a broken headstock, so that's just... That's just the Gibson Achilles Hill heel, Achilles Achilles heel. Investigative. Uh, we can't talk tonight. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, I I really appreciate everybody participating in the show. I know I said it before, but I I'd love it if you'd submit a show, uh, submit a podcast to the show. You see, do you hear what I'm saying? I can't speak. Well, I'm doing a podcast and I can't speak. This is a problem. Connect brain to mouth. <laughs> Connect brain. <laughs> if you would, please submit a question to the show by going to my website, ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Check out some of the other nifty stuff that's there while you're there. There's you know, lots of nifty stuff on that website. You know, I make pickups. Wow. I also repair pickups. You, wow. Wow. Uh, I restore guitars. I have people send me guitars from all over the place, and I work on them. I repair, restore, build guitars, rewind pickups. I'd love to help you out if you ever need help. But if you just want to listen to the show, that's cool, too. But at least submit a question. Go to ericdaw.com, submit a question. The other way to do it is to call, I'll say that number again, 757-774. Eight four eight two. I'm impressed that you can remember that number. Oh yeah, it's there. It's there now. Do you it's know our there. anniversary? Y- yeah, it's uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Hi Eric, loving the show. Only discovered it recently and have been working my way through the episode. September second. Fourth. What? September fourth. Oh, Dang it. <sighs> I'll edit that part out. <laughs> I'm putting she together put me on the spot. Hush. <laughs> I'm putting together an old Ibanez blazer that I've run into problems with the tiny screws that adjust the saddle height. Some screws are frozen up and won't move. I've got some replacement screws from all par- from all parts which fit fine. I just can't get the old ones out to replace them. Any suggestions? Thanks, Jim from the Sunshine Coast of Australia. That sounds nice right about now. Yeah, doesn't it? Oh, Jim, are you the same Jim from Australia that sent us... A, we need. We still need to know about Christmas in Australia. <laughs> we'll we'll uh, look it up on okay. the Wikipedia okay. or something. All right. Thanks, Jim. Uh, frozen up set screws. Yeah, they're hard to get out. You know what I usually do is um, I'll put oil on the threads and then heat up the screw with a soldering iron. And that usually um, that usually gets them out. So, how do you how do you get oil on the threads if they're? Well, if you turn the saddle over, there's a little bit of screw usually sticking out oh, underneath see. the saddle. Okay. Yeah. So saturate that part with oil, and heat up the screw with a soldering iron. Get it nice and hot. You know. 
that oil will, will really thin out and, and go into the saddle and lubricate the threads. That's if the head of the screw is not stripped. Uh-huh. If the head of your screw is stripped, then you're going to have to torque it out from the underside. There's a few different ways to do that, but if if there's enough sticking out that you can grab on with some vice grips, you can get it out that way, but you're going to ruin the screw. So as long as you're okay with ruining that screw, as long as you got replacements, that's okay to do. But um well, it's already ruined if it's stripped. Right. Yeah, right. Huh. Yeah. Uh but heat, heating up metal parts and putting oil on them will that will get them unstuck. You might have to do it a couple of times. You might have to heat it several times. Doesn't heat make things expand though? Wouldn't that make it tighter? I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I know that that works. <laughs> okay. Uh all right, thanks Jim. We're jealous of your sunshine coast. Uh next question. I like your show, but I think you're crazy when it comes to strings. Uh-oh. Personally, I think DRs are the best. Hmm. What specifically is your complaint about them? I happen I happen to think they sound and feel superior to other strings. Keep your podcast coming. I really do enjoy it. That's from Cheryl in New Jersey. Well, I think that I think that the um I think the point here is that we have a female listener. But that's amazing. That's exciting. Isn't it? Cheryl, we're excited to have you. Yeah. Uh and um really, you know, guitars aren't just for boys. That's right. We have a female listener. We need to be a female guitar repair chick in the house. Not me. Oh. Cheryl. Yeah. Well, I don't know if she's a tech or just a player or Well, whatever she is, I'm glad I'm glad you're here, Cheryl. Um seriously though, what my complaint about the DR strings is uh, specifically, they're round core strings. I think I've said this before. I, I'm just repeating myself now, but um, the round core strings have intonation problems. That's what I've found, and I, I you know, I hate to say it because I actually like the way they sound and feel too. I, I, I liked them. I'm, I'm right there with you, Cheryl. I thought they were good strings, but the round core ones are fraught with such problems, uh, with tuning. And intonation problems that it's just a nightmare. It's not worth it. So use the hex core DRs and they're fine. That's my personal complaint. But hey, if you use the round core DRs and you never notice a problem, then more power to you. You don't knock yourself out. It's really just my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Cheryl, thanks. Hi, Eric and Melissa. As always, keep up the great podcast. Hope you and your family have a great holiday. My question may have been somewhat covered in a previous episode, but I wondered if you could maybe expand on it a bit. I've read a lot on the difference in magnet material in guitar pickups and wondered, in an equal situation, say in the same Telecaster, what would be the tonal differences, if any, between A2 A3, and A5 magnets. From what I've read, it seems the A2s tend to be softer in the highs, but I don't really know all the ins and outs of this. Thanks so much for all the info that you and the show provide. Best wishes. Kurt from Seattle. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks for submitting a question. Uh, Yeah, we did cover this a few episodes back. I'm trying to think what episode that would have been. Um... Yeah, it doesn't matter. I don't really remember. Uh, the thing to remember is this. that the Alnico 5 is the loudest. Alnico 5 has more magnetic pulls, so they, they tend to have a little more punch. And just because of the makeup of the metal, uh, they're, just, they're all EQ'd a little differently. So the A2, Alnico 2... Um, I don't know how to explain it, but um, they tend to have a little sweeter highs, and Alnico 5s are a little punchier, have more of a scooped-out mid, 
and a little more bass response. But it's hard, you know, it's really hard to explain these kinds of things in words. Um, what I would suggest is go to go to Jason Lawler's website and check out sound clips, because he makes Alnico 2 and Alnico 5 tele pickups. And uh, listen for yourself. Listen to the difference there, because you might be hearing something a little different than what I hear as well. You know, that there's a, there's always that. People hear things differently. But check out Jason Lawler's website. They've, they've got sound clips for their pickups there, and that's probably the best way, really, rather than me explaining it. That's probably the best way to, to check it out, is to hear it for yourself. That's cool that he has sound clips. Yeah, I know. It's really the way to go. I've been thinking for a long time, I really want to do sound clips and videos on some of the things that I make, I just have never gotten around to it. But someday I'll do that. When, maybe when we have time. Yeah. In the next 10 or 15 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, Kurt, thanks for, the, uh, thanks for the question, brother. Appreciate it. Here's a question for you. I have a Court NTL 50 jumbo acoustic guitar that I bought 15 years ago. There was a round sticker on the transparent pickguard when I bought it from the store. I easily removed the sticker, but realized that the wood color is lighter there. Please see the pictures, and trust me, it is much more obvious than in the pics. It was certainly because the sticker didn't let the light in, the, in when the guitar was on display. I was expecting the top would con- converge. I was expecting the top would converge to a color and the marking to disappear. Over the years, I've removed the transparent pickguard. The guitar has been exposed to lots of sunlight, but the color difference has never disappeared. Is there anything that can be done? Thanks. Best wishes for you and Melissa from Turkey. That's from Aaron. Oh, yeah. Aaron in Turkey. Um, You know, that discoloration is just something that is probably never going to go away. And, uh, that's a court guitar. I'm sure it's polyurethane finish, but um, which I didn't think that poly would do that in the sunlight. But I guess it's uh, I don't know something in something in the finish has reacted to the sunlight and caused a little circle where that sticker used to be. Um, you know, my suggestion really would be to to get a nice looking black or or tortoise guard for it if if the uh, if the spot bothers you just cover it up just cover it up of course sounds like he doesn't want a pit guard so maybe that's not a very good solution the only other I thing that I can even think of and this is crazy this is just crazy talk but if you were to take a big piece of cardboard and cut out a hole the exact same size <laughs> that, that of, of the spot and then put it over the guitar and leave it out in the sun for, you know, six months. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. It's it's really not realistic. Well, would, like, trying to match the stain is just, that's just not. No, and because it's polyurethane, it's not, you, it's a plastic almost oh. finish. You, you, there's no, there's, there's no, no staining it. It's just not going to happen. So you'd have to sand it down and refinish it. Yeah. Well, that stinks. It's not worth it. No. Just get a nice-looking tortoise pit guard. Um, that's what I would do with it. Acoustic guitars look nicer with cool pit guards anyway. I think. What do I know? At least it'd be better than a spot on there that drives you crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Right? I I love that we're getting questions from Turkey. Aaron, I'm uh, glad you're yeah. listening. It's uh, awesome. In Australia? Yeah. And, and New Jersey? Canada? All kinds of uh, exotic places. Even Seattle. Exotic faraway places like Ballard. <laughs> <laughs> Ballard is in Seattle, everybody. Yeah, for, for everybody who's not, not... If you're not hip to the Seattle yeah. jive. I'm not. I'm not hip to the Seattle jive at all. Ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up another edition of the fret files podcast thank you so much for listening we really do appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts it's just something we do for the love of guitars and uh, we enjoy talking about it and of course we want you to support you know our 
lovely sponsor, Emerald City Guitars. You know, in full disclosure, I also want you to buy the guitars that I make. You know, we haven't talked about it today. Well, I think there's a commercial, but I also make leather stuff. So, you know, and Melissa makes beautiful leather guitar straps. I am currently on maternity leave, but I will return eventually to work. And uh, yeah, if you want a cool guitar strap. When are you going to start making straps again? Uh, when the baby sleeps. So When I have time. We'll figure that out. Yeah. What's your website? Uh, it's melcoleather.com. M-E-L-C-O leather.com. Wow, that's how you do a plug. That was professional. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking the time. I hope that uh, 2016 is going to be a great year for everybody. Keep the questions coming, and uh, we'll see you again next month. Big thanks to ufoship.com. Michael Van Dieven over there at the uh, ufoship.com podcast network, president of Van Dieven Enterprises, also pusher of e-cigs. Czar Did you know of- he's, he, <laughs> sells, he sells e-cigs yeah. on his website there? If you go to ufoship.com, you can click the e-cigs link and see the e-cigs so that he's, he's a drug uh, pusher. Yeah, well, you know, it's water vapor. It's flavored water vapor. With nicotine. Some of them have nicotine. That's a drug. Uh, big thanks to Emerald City Guitars. And uh, big thanks, of course, to Melissa. You're welcome. For joining me here on the podcast. It makes my job so much easier. And especially big thanks to you for listening. Appreciate it. We'll see you next month. Bye-bye.